Blog Talk Radio. The following program is brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. At Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us, host a show, or be a guest, or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host for Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn, and today our topic is frustration. And maybe even more interesting, we're going to be talking about dancing around the energy vibration of frustration. But before we move over there, I would like to welcome our three roundtable participants, John Caracello, who's joining us from Utah. Good morning. And Heisey Ludemers, who's joining us from Menlo Park. Hello. And we have a special participant, Madonna McGinnis, who hails from the beautiful island of Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Welcome, Madonna. Thank you, Mildred. Lovely to be here. Today we're going to talk about frustration. And to set the stage for our discussion, I'm going to read a passage. And then from there, I'm going to invite Hi-See and Madonna and John to explore it a little bit more by three questions. So here we go. I am the dancer of frustration. I delight in putting obstacles in your path. But I can also show you that there are other paths to walk. What will you do when I appear? Either you will push against me and try to break my hold, or you will walk with me until the strength of my grip gradually begins to lessen. So while I might seem like a negative force on your journey, I teach you how to look for better ways to advance and how to strengthen your resolve. And this came from the Shaman's Oracle. The questions that I would love to throw out there for Madonna and John and High C are these. How does frustration show up in your life? What can the energy of frustration or the dance of frustration teach us? And do you have a personal tip that you can offer our listeners on how to deal with day-to-day or long-term frustration? Anybody want to jump in there? Yeah, Mildred Lynn, I think this is a really powerful set of questions. And the nature of frustration is really significant for me and I'm sure for everybody else. And I think of frustration is in two ways. There's sort of tactical frustration, which is which I experience when I'm driving in traffic and I feel like I'm late or I'm in a hurry and there's just traffic. And then there's more like, strategic frustration for example like what am i doing with my life and why isn't it clear or 
where am I supposed to be living or, you know, what's next or what do I want to be when I grow up? And these things manifest themselves very differently on a daily basis. And even in the presence of them, as I'm annoyed and frustrated by them, I know that they're teaching me something. I know that the opportunity exists in that moment when I'm feeling the frustration to say, okay, the point is not to be frustrated. The point is to examine why I'm being frustrated so that I can look at my behavior, look at my priorities, look at my circumstances in a different way. And for me, frustration is a reflection of resistance or adversity or whatever. And I'm a firm believer after many years of not seeing it this way. I'm a firm believer that frustration and adversity is the universe's way of illuminating aspects of my character that I wouldn't see any other way. John, I'm going to throw out a question. Do you think you're a frustrating person? You know, I think there are aspects of my personality that are frustrating for other people. I think I'm getting better at it. I'm getting less frustrating as time goes on, probably in the same measure as I'm coming to understand the role of frustration as it presents itself in my life. And when you're frustrated, and this would be good for our listeners to explore within themselves, does it impact your body in any way? Anything visceral about your frustration? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And visceral is the perfect word for it. It actually is right in my viscera, right? It's solar plexus location, and it's it feels like a buildup of anxious energy that is struggling to find an outlet. And the longer it stays, the denser and darker it becomes and wants to then come out as anger. It gets more solid over time. It gets denser over time and it feels heavy and feels like it's going to require force to get rid of it. I'm going to move over to High Seer Madonna and give them an opportunity to share their thoughts and then maybe towards the end of the round table, we can see if there's a tip that you have to offer for our listeners on how to move through it. I I just love that description. Thanks for (laughs) sharing that. Wow. Hi, Sierra Madonna. Frustration, how does it show up in your life? What does it have to teach you? Frustration for me is a behavior, a reaction that I learned. I assumed it was a normal part of my life that I should be leaning into every day, I think I realized probably in my 50s that I was probably spending most of my day frustrated. And then I started leaning back from it to try and examine what frustration was doing for me. And for me, it's really important to continue a balance where frustration is a positive force in my life and sometimes a negative force in my life. I go back to the driving the car analogy as a negative force. What does it serve me or the driver in front of me to continue to be frustrated? What does it serve me if I become frustrated about an incident in my life or an activity in my life? That frustration gives me an opportunity to lean back. What can I learn from this? What do I need to do immediately to allow that frustration to teach me something? And I think it's just a continuous 
evolution for me on a daily, even an hourly basis, you know, depending on what I'm doing, whether I'm at work or if I'm doing something in my personal life. I like frustration. I like what frustration does for me, what it gives me, what it allows me to see about myself and others as well. Madonna, when you're frustrated, because it seems to be a companion, I think that's fair to say, it sounds to be a companion for you, are you aware that you were frustrated in the moment? Pretty much in the moment now, because I think I have befriended frustration, and it does almost immediately become apparent to me. I may not walk away and try to figure out what the learning is right away, because I think my ego likes staying in frustration sometimes and maybe using it as a tool to drive change in that immediate moment. So I have two reactions to it. I can stay with it or walk away and try and examine it. But it is an immediate acknowledgement for sure. And hi, see, how about you? I have hard time even imagining, even touching the concept that you may experience frustration in your Buddha-like life. Hence the reason I struggled so hard to try to figure out how I was going to respond. <laughs> I, it up. I bet it was frustrating for you, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think what I found is frustration tends to come up when there is expectation. Because we tend to get frustrated when we have created an expectation around how someone should act, what someone should do, how someone should respond, how a situation should develop, uh, what timeline something should be on. And when it doesn't happen that way, we get frustrated. How come this isn't happening sooner? How come I'm not able to do this faster? How come that person didn't respond the way that it seemed so logical and so right that they would, based in the scenario that ran in my head anyway? So I think that that's when frustration tends to show up is when we have created or built expectation around something and expectation can lead to idealizing or perfection because we think that we have crafted this perfect scenario of how things would work best or what the most logical or satisfying response would be. And whether that's for something coming to us or sometimes when we watch for our other people, I will admit, I was watching a an episode of a show last night, a show called Shameless on Showtime. And the family actually comes from a relatively poor neighborhood and is always struggling. And the father is an alcoholic and everything, but he ended up getting an insurance settlement of $121,000. And he woke up the next day not remembering having received it and opening a bank account and then withdrawing the money from the bank account and then he went out and he bought a car for $60,000. He hired prostitutes and drugs and all sorts of things in a fancy hotel room. He did a number of things. Within 24 hours, all that money was gone. And he couldn't even remember where it was because of everything he had done. And I was sitting there very frustrated. I'm like, you could totally benefit your family. You could totally finally do something for them to change their situation. And then I had to step back and say, well... But that's my expectation of what someone should do with that money. And so in thinking of what the energy of frustration has to teach us, I think one is it comes up to perhaps show us where are we creating expectation when we need to just be allowing for acceptance 
or just having openness and receptivity to see how something is, how something develops, how someone responds, rather than waiting to hear what we need to hear or see what we need to see. And when that doesn't happen, then we are frustrated and we don't know what to do rather than being able to actually simply work with what it is that has been said or done. I turn to one of my favorite tools, of course, the Tarot, to ask this question as well. <laughs> and the card that came up for that question, what can the energy of frustration teach us, is the Two of Pentacles reversed. And really, when that card reverses, it says frustration is there to teach us when to let go. It's there to teach us when we are either trying to do too much, take on too much, or sometimes this card can be called cause and effect. And so there's a, there's a sense of we're trying too hard to be the cause in order to bring about a desired effect rather than to allow the natural process to occur. We can still do the cause, but then we let go and we step back to see what effect that has. How does that person respond rather than I'm trying to force them to respond in a certain way, therefore I'm trying to force a very specific effect from the cause that I feel that I'm setting in motion. And and Two of Pentacles reversed also very often shows us that something is uh, out of balance. So I think frustration is there to teach us and to bring up a moment of realization for where or how are we out of balance and what do we need to do to come back to balance within ourselves, which could also be alignment, and then to also come into balance and alignment with whatever is happening around us rather than trying to push or force, which is just going to keep it out of balance because one side is going to be heavier, harder, or trying more than the other just to make something happen in the way they think it should. When you get frustrated on the rare occasion that you may touch frustration, does it show up in your body? Well, let me ponder back 20 years. Last time I experienced um uh, yes, I think similar to John, you know, I'm in the stomach, I think a lot of people probably ulcers and and stomach problems have a lot to do with frustration that people generate for themselves. But I think in the stomach, you will feel that tightening, maybe a quickening of the heart rate and a warmth that starts to happen. It's kind of like an anger response, but it's not anger. It's just some of the same physical kind of feelings because you know, you start to clench your fists a little bit, you become tense, and you're just like, oh, why isn't that happening this way? Why isn't this person saying this? Why is that person doing that? That's where I would say it's tension in the muscles, it's a quickening of the heart rate, and a bit of that tightness in the stomach. For myself, what I notice when I get frustrated is my hands go in the fist position, so I clench my hands and I clench my jaw. And that's my visceral response. But now that we've looked at what is frustration and how does it impact the body, let's look at how we get ourselves out of frustration. For me, it starts with acknowledging the feeling, right? What is this thing that I'm feeling? And where am I feeling it in my body? And having acknowledged that I'm feeling it, what would I rather be feeling? What feeling would I rather have? Right. So frustration, this clenching that we talk about, is because we have this desire for something to flow and it's not flowing. So the thing that I reflect on is, okay, I don't want to feel like I'm not flowing. 
I want to feel like I'm flowing. So where in my body and where in the circumstance that I'm experiencing can I relinquish this push against what's resisting me and redirect my energy to a place where there isn't resistance? So, for example, if I'm in the car and I'm in a hurry and I'm tense because there's traffic, right, all that energy that's pushing up against the car in front of me represents the block. So where can I redirect that energy so that it'll flow? Well, maybe I'll turn on the radio and sing. And so my energy can flow there. Maybe I'll open the window and feel the breeze. And maybe there's some flow that happens there. So I'm always looking for what would I rather feel and how can I facilitate my environment to help me feel it, to dance with the frustration into a, a place of flow. So that's what I do. Thank you, John. What about High Seer Madonna? Um, for me, I hope I recognize quickly that I am frustrated. And I think when we're frustrated, our breathing becomes really shallow and really tight. So for me, it's opening up that breath and taking a deep breath and deciding if I'm in a situation with another person, do I need to articulate my frustration? If not, do I need to go for a walk? Or what is it more physically that I need to do to help that frustration flow to a place that is calm, that I can view why it came up in the first place? But I really do find that slow, deep breathing really, really helps me. And how many breaths do you have to take? Usually, probably just two or three. It just depends on the situation. Okay. And what about you, High C? What tip do you have to offer? Well, and I, I did once again turn to the Tarot to give some insight mm-hmm. into this as well. And the reversed Empress card came up. One thing I would say is stepping back or stepping away from the source of the frustration I think that we've heard that in various ways through what John and Madonna have said. It not only allows us to breathe, but it gives that breathing room for the situation or whatever it is that's causing the frustration to dissipate a bit. One of the questions you asked was, what does frustration teach us? And reversing the Empress card is very interesting here because the Empress can be very much about birth and creating something. So There we could say, how do I create or how do I birth into being the lesson that frustration is trying to teach me? But the reversal, it reminds us of the gestation period. So it says, let's not create additional frustration by not being able to figure out what lesson we're supposed to be learning right in that moment when we're being frustrated by something. Versus step back and step away from it and give it a little time and allow it to process, allow it to just sit for a while allow what it has to teach or offer us to gestate and it will it will come up it will sprout into being for us when it's ready and when we're ready to hear it and recognize what that lesson is so i think it's also not being in a rush for instant gratification to understand what the lesson of the frustration is by thinking that's how i'm going to be able to move beyond this frustration is by understanding what it's trying to teach me right now in this moment versus saying Let me make note of what was frustrating me, when I got frustrated, how that affected me. Let me sit with that for a while, and then there will be 
a realization as to what it is that it had to teach me, but it may not be immediate and I need to be okay with that and allow for that. The other thing I would say, you don't have to do it all alone. The reverse Empress card says, ask for support, ask for assistance, reach out for guidance, rather than thinking you have to somehow cultivate all of this all by yourself. One thing that occurred to me is that when I looked at my body in the process of being frustrated, as I mentioned before, I noticed my hands get clenched and my jaws get clenched. So then what I decided to do in my real-life example is look how to move the energy out of the hands and out of the jaw. And what seemed to help me was with the hands, they wanted to move and release that energy, as we were talking about. So solution for me was, is a piano. So the energy of the frustration can move through the hands and transmute into beautiful music. And for the jaws, it would be singing. So on that note, I would love to thank High C and Madonna and John for joining us today. It's a blast. Yeah, I think we had a really good round table. I'm going to take some of those tips myself. I really enjoyed it. And I would love to invite our listeners to stay tuned for the rest of the show. We have two fantastic guests coming up. So thank you very much, Heisey. A pleasure to be here. Thank you very much, Madonna. Thank you, Mildred. And thank you, John, from Utah. Oh, you're welcome. It's great. Bye for now. Have a great day. Have a great show, Mildred Lynn. Well, that's our roundtable for this week. Many thanks to Mildred Lynn McDonald and participants. We hope you found this roundtable discussion engaging and thought-provoking. If you would like to join the conversation, visit facebook.com slash fireflywillows and add your comment under this week's roundtable post. Stay tuned. And we're back. This is Mildred Lynn McDonald, and I'm your host for Healing Conversations, live from Sebastopol, California. Thank you for joining us today. They say that beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. But what if the beholder is you, and you feel that your inner beauty is not reflected in how you present yourself to the world? What do you do? Where do you go? Enter Ronnie McCullough and Catherine Heflin, two talented California gals who have combined their knowledge and passion to create divine style makeovers, a consulting practice specializing in the outward expression of your inner spirit. During our time together today, Ronnie and Catherine will share their unique perspective, tips, plus lessons learned by helping numerous people experience the joy of revealing their true selves to the world. They'll both delight you with stories of how they facilitated transformations with a compassionate and caring process through the magic of color, creative dressing, personalized shopping, wardrobe building, and embracing the elements of authentic style. Plus, they'll inspire and motivate you by their own life journey. So, with much anticipation, let's welcome Ronnie McCullough and Katherine Heflin to the show. We're glad to be here. We're delighted, Mildred. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us today. 
and I've been looking forward to our conversation, and it's really generated quite a lot of interest. When I put out the show description on Facebook and some other social networks, we had a lot of likes and a lot of people saying, looking forward to the show, can't wait to see the show. So you guys are already superstars. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually all of our clients that become the superstars. (laughs) We just Ah, help the process. (laughs) I see. So let's let's just dive right in there. And I was on your website, Divine Style Makeovers, and I noticed a testimonial from one of your clients. And I'm going to share it with our listeners, and then I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about this and how you had such an effect. So this is what it said, and it really caught my eye. Who is this woman? What possibilities have I ignored that I can now entertain? Your magic and mastery in revealing my never-before-seen true me is profound. So my question after I read that was, what did you guys do to this woman, and why was she so touched by this experience? What's going on here? Okay. Um, I'll give a uh, whirl first. And one of the things that Catherine and I have found out by working with women is that it all goes better when a woman is really ready to change. And so Lisa is her name. She was she was really primed and ready to to be more empowered in her spirit. And so what possibilities have I ignored that I can now entertain? A lot of women just have never felt seen before. And I think that is part of it's not really magic, but it can feel like magic to the person, but we just follow where spirit leads us through this process and and we just keep developing the color, the patterns, the style that's reflecting where they're at and what they're beaming back to us as they sit across from us. I'll chime in too. Great. We have found that each woman and man does have their own unique relationship to the earth in various ways and and the times of year and the seasons. So this particular woman, Lisa, what was so wonderful was she had a fabulous vitality and resonance with fire, fire light, earth, tree, bark, and stone. And so there was an earthiness to her that was not being reflected in the way that she was putting herself together and even affecting her groundedness. And so that she was so related to these natural elements really moved her. And she's a Feldenkrais teacher and a dancer, and so it enabled her to hold more earth in herself in a in a wonderful way. And I think that in essence what we did too is we sort of removed as a sculptor would, we removed the stone the excess stone from the form, the statue that's in. We chip away what's not that person as we sit doing a color palette. And they may look at a color and go on a page, Oh my gosh, I love that But we'll find something different and hold that to them. And then they see, they can see, oh, gosh, that's that's part of me. And that other color that they may have loved may not be them, but they can still love that on somebody else. 
So, Ronnie, I wanted to go back. You said that some women don't feel seen. Is it possible that they don't even feel seen by themselves? And then they wake up one day, look in the mirror, and they notice a big disconnect. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, I think that's part of it. I think some women have grown up with a kind of mothering that perhaps didn't honor the individuality of of the daughter. So they've, they're bringing things from their past upbringing to us and whatever other wounded relationships they might have had with either other women or their male-female relationships, perhaps their vitality, their specific wonderfulness just wasn't being appreciated. And we have mm-hmm. had many women tear up, really get touched when we are reflecting back to them something that's very special about them, a specific compliment about their eyes or about their just their radiance. And so, yeah. <laughs> and Catherine, I loved when you talked about Linda in the context of nature. To be perfectly honest, I loved nature, but I never thought of identifying aspects of myself with nature. And when you talked about Linda being earthy, isn't that a wonderful process? Oh, excuse me. Isn't, Lisa, isn't that a wonderful process for everybody to go through? Yes, I think that it is such a gift to ourselves and that we each, all of us, have this unique relationship to the heavens, the sky, and to lighting itself. This is such a big component. Is a woman's natural essence reflected and mirrored by sunlight or is it by moonlight? And there are colors and patterns through every hour of the day. And some of these people may be more in the evening, and they've been trying to dress themselves in glaring morning colors, <laughs> daylight. <laughs> and, and so the, the elements enter into fire, water, earth, air, and wood, and metal. And we talk a lot about the quality of, well, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but just are they <laughs> glowing or do they, do they sparkle? Um, do they magnetize? Uh, are they like a song hitting a beautiful chord of resonance? It's musical. It's, it's lyrical. It's moving. It's, it's very alive, uh, that person, their essence, very alive. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful words. And I want to ask you both. You have clients that are attracted to the type of work you do. What kind of conversations about themselves or self-talk do they usually have going round and round in their head? Well, first of all, you know, women and men both have certain things that they just don't like about themselves or they say they hate about themselves. We had a a young man who said he hated his skin color. We have women who think they're too fat, women who think they um, have never been attractive, and, and they have just given up. They really, they kind of let go of that, and they aren't sure where to turn or even if they want to invest in that. But then one day, maybe a certain decade, they get up enough courage to say, well, maybe maybe there is something, some way I can show up a little different than I 
have all, all, always shown up before. And then they call us and we start working together. Um, do you want to add something more about what what kind of head conversations women have going on? Uh, yes, I can chime in a little here. You know, they may go, "Well, will I be will I be foolish? Is this a vanity uh, if I pursue this?" And it, it is anything but. But that can be sort of their their censoring inner critic can really stand in the way. And so they they may have had a baby and they still want to look good, but now they want to look age appropriate. But they they want to celebrate their womanliness still. So we often will get people in transition who are feeling from an inner voice that they just aren't okay and that they need. They, they just should maybe hide out now because maybe their era is over. And <laughs> we just love it when they come to us because no one's era is over, you know. So when you were okay. talking about their era being over, is, is that the same as, you know, I've passed my prime, my best days are behind me and might as well go into crone stage, so to speak. I think that that's very right on. I think a lot of women mm-hmm. do feel like, uh, okay, I've been a mother for 20 years. My kids are off to college. Um, you know, maybe my husband and I aren't having that real romance anymore. Things are kind of cooled off, and so what's the point? There's a lot of that kind of self-talk going on, too. I'm going to let Catherine chime in here. I think that now's the time to put the M word on the table, the menopause, <laughs> because um, that perimenopause and menopause is such a huge transitional time for a woman. And they, we really, all of us can undergo profound changes during that time and feel like the best is behind us. And menopause will insist upon our attentiveness because it will make change happen whether we want it or not. And so it's uh, what we provide is a way to let this experience be a positive experience and and, and address it uh, through through clothing, through color, through an empowerment. We had a, a client who, after her session, went to the auto mechanic and didn't like how she was treated and turned her car around and went back, and it was an issue with the bill. And, you know, she found out that she's actually a very strong autumnal presence, and she just marched right in there and stood tall as a tree and explained why she wasn't going to just accept this this treatment. And it went beautifully. And then she just wrote us, and she said, my gosh, this is changing my behavior. It's changing the way I'm moving through the world, and I'm claiming my voice. It sounds like you were saying that she found her voice. It sounds to me but like she may have never had a voice or she may have lost her voice or or been distracted by other things. So do you ever find when you're dealing with someone that it's kind of a shock to them that they're not expressing their voice? Is it ever, I know this is big work, is it ever bringing an awareness to, oh, my heavens, I've lost my voice? And then once they realize that, they're able to engage in the process? Or is, or do you usually have to put a lot of prep work into helping the person come to the conclusion that I've my voice or lost my way? We just had a recent makeover where our client Leslie 
thought that she was showing up in all of her most wonderful colors and and then following the palette realized that it was almost 360 degrees the other from a, from showing up in a completely different way and i think at that point sometimes it's after the palette after the oh. they receive all of their colors that really we feel are going and and uh, mirroring their soul so to speak once they have those colors and they see them and we show them to them while they're sitting across from us, we have a mirror where they can see themselves. And it's at that point, I think, that they realize, oh, my gosh, I've been hiding out. And not only that, but the the fact that they could have this voice that somehow hadn't shown up before, I think that's when that revelation comes. Uh, I'm let Catherine maybe add a little to that. I, I think that different women are some are able to just dive into that like a duck jumping into a brand new pond of water, mm-hmm. thrilled. <laughs> and then others, we do help. We help walk them through it because this can be this can rearrange your coordinates on on Earth, right? And and mm-hmm. it it is a sense of um, waking up in a new land. And we are very very committed to each woman's process accompanying her through that and make ourselves very available to lend more support, write to them, uh, check in, see how they're doing. Baby steps are good. Some women have taken as long as a year to complete their makeover because it just organically, that is what they needed. And, and there may be events that happen in somebody's life that will slow something down, like uh, that they have to attend to. So in answer, it, it can be a very quick, organic comfort level they instantly feel, or, you know, we, um, we mother them along. <laughs> <laughs> as you're as you're talking there, Catherine, and as Ronnie spoke before, and this information is so fascinating to me, and I'm sure it's fascinating to our listeners because you're describing things in a whole different way that I'm sure many people haven't thought about before. But when you're talking about the color palette and how people, as they go through the process, may rediscover themselves once the appropriate colors are in place. To me, it sounds like the colors are creating a supportive energy environment or a matrix. And as that matrix forms, it gives their voice the structure or the energetic boost or lift to start to express itself in the same way as if the palette is in discord or not supporting the voice, then the voice isn't projecting itself into the world. And when I say the voice, I'm talking about the soul as it connects with the person, as it is expressed outwardly. So I, what I'd love to do now is to talk to both of you about how to flip those fears into something that's more positive, more life-affirming. And I know that you have a beautiful process that you take people through. So who would like to jump in there? So at the very first meeting, what usually happens is that we we get together for a coffee date, an informal coffee date at a place where both people feel comfortable. And we talk to them about their frustrations 
<laughs> to address your former roundtable topic there. We talk about their <laughs> frustrations of shopping, their frustrations of going to stores and not seeing themselves reflected anywhere in any of the styles, their frustrations about fit and how uh, they can go in, a, in the dressing room and spend half a day trying to find things and either come home empty-handed or they come home with things that just hang in the closet and never get worn and still have the tags on them six months later. So we talked to them about all these different frustrations and then figure out what's the best plan for them. And for the, the best results, we usually encourage them to go for a makeover package, which involves finding the right colors, going to their closet, and having an assessment there that usually follows the color, and then we um, actually make a shopping list based on that, and then we take them shopping. Uh, and along there somewhere, right after the color, we also, uh, if it's a woman, we take them to the makeup artist. And if they need eyewear, we go eyewear shopping with them. So, And even talk to them about um, hairstyle recommendations. So it really is a head-to-toe complete style makeover that really does I appreciate so much what you just said regarding how they go through this process and feel so touched at a soul level the way that you expressed that was just really eloquent oh thank you Ronnie thank you very much <laughs> oh my so Catherine do you have anything else to add to that about the process? Well, I think that in terms of flipping fears into something more positive, I do believe that it is in the dressing room is where there is a, a visceral, visual aha moment, mm. moments that happen where they are often most of the time we'll have things pre-shopped and ready and they'll say I would have never looked at any of this and so we we begin having them try things on and it is so apparent <laughs> when something is working and everybody sort of takes a big breath and lets out a sigh or surprise <laughs> and they'll look like really I can do this I think I can do this. So it, it, they get it. We get it. Um, the, there is something described by another consultant we admire, dressing room wisdom. And that's where really we can talk about the weight of the clothing and how it's fitting their particular body. And when they see it, there's nothing like a picture is worth a thousand words. So I would say it's really the experiential part that flips the, the self-talk into possibility. And I know that your process, the process that you and Ronnie use, it's very caring and it's very compassionate. And it sounds to me that when a person is going through this transition and they're noticing the opportunities and the potential, there can be some scary places because after all, it was serving them on one level not to be expressing themselves at a soul level. So the caring, the compassion, the feeling safe is integral to the process. Anybody want to talk about that a little bit? I'll go ahead with that and just say that, that we have been 
likened to, well, people will go, oh, I've heard of that. That's on what's not to wear on TV. And we always say, yes, but we're much more humane. (laughs) <laughs> because they sometimes <laughs> they sometimes make TV at, at the poor person's expense, uh, you know, the humor, and it's very different from that. I think that that it can be a scary thing. Sometimes this is where uh, one of the things we try and determine ahead of time is if a client's children are going to have veto power or their partner. And we really encourage them to be in a place where they feel like they can trust us. Because if they're going to go through this experience with us and, and, and entertain big change in the dressing room and go home and, and not feel their own strength there and then the family, which really doesn't happen to us hardly ever, but it's just a consideration of are they in charge of this big step that they're taking in their life with the support from us to be their team. There, there is a issue, there, I mean, there is a necessary trust. Uh, transformation is big change, and one has to step out of the familiar and, and be willing to try new things. I'm going to let Ronnie add to that. To continue what Catherine said about little bumps along the way, we've had a gentleman who he was very taken aback by his first haircut that we had recommended that he get to update his look. And at first he had um, uh, he wasn't sure he liked it. I think sometimes uh, men actually get into like a, a particular haircut, maybe when they're in high school. And I think even more than women, they stick with the same haircut for years and years and years and years. So when he changed his haircut, he just he was really uncomfortable for a while. And we we had a sit down with him, and and he explained part of his discomfort was he he was really concerned that we might make him look too attractive. Oh, and so really? This was, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so and he just wanted us to understand that his main thing was just to to be comfortable within himself but he wasn't necessarily looking to be more attractive. Um, but I think part of that was just uh, a little bit of uh, a little bump along the way, just getting used to looking different when he looked in the mirror. So, you know, we do a little bit of uh, just sitting down with people when they maybe we don't hear from them for a while and they still have part of their makeover to go through and they've maybe been putting it off or saying, well, I don't have any time this month or um, I'll get back to you and then we don't hear something. Sometimes, very unusually, people will be so overpowered by the experience that they they just have to to kind of walk away for a while. So uh, it can be a lot of it can go a lot of different directions, but the more and more we learn about women and about human nature in general, we plan for these by by uh, the questions that we ask at the very beginning, and letting uh, women and men both know that it's a big deal. It's a big deal with us, and that we really take their concerns seriously, and that we are willing to guide them through the process from beginning to end and that they don't really have to to be scared uh, about us. Um, they sometimes need to go within and just ask themselves what are they willing to put 
forward. I'm going to let Catherine carry on. Every now and then, um, we don't hesitate mm-hmm. to suggest that um, a, a person may want to touch in with their therapist or uh, a life coach and explore in more uh, intimate depth with a person trained in, in that specific um, part of the inner transformation um, if, they're, if, they're, if they do feel a sense of danger about their attractiveness or th- that tension that, oh, my gosh, I'm going to look better than my mom or, or whatever. Just uh, there can, it can bring up things. And um, we're, very, we're very experienced in holding a container for people, but we also do not hesitate to suggest that, you know, additional help may be a, a wonderful gift uh, during a big transformation. Okay. I like that. I like that respectful approach, and I also like that non-hurried, non-rushed approach. And I love the idea that you've worked with so many clients that you're able to anticipate potential bumps in the road, give people time, and then re-engage. Like most of us, we'll go hide in the corner if we can get away (laughs) once we hit the uncomfortable part, right? And with your caring and compassionate approach, I'm sure that the reconnection part is very welcome, like a welcome soul nudge, a welcome little let's get going again, let's re-engage the process. Now, what I wanted to ask both of you, because you had shared that you have had the honor of observing and facilitating these transitions within people, the reconnection with the soul in terms of how the soul is expressing and showing up in the world. What have you learned about human nature and transformation by working with your clients? And I know that all your clients are treasured, you respect them, and you honor the journey. But I'm dying to find out what are the nuggets of learning on your end? I'd say one of the biggest ones, it's sort of trust in timing. We call it divine timing. Just as a pregnant mother cannot just decide when her baby should be born, there's something larger here than just the individual. And it involves a universe that actually is collaborating. Uh, We truly believe this with their soul, with their palate, and these things can take time. And sometimes somebody gets a very unpredictable uh, stop in, in their process, and it just turns out that the perfect timing for them to go shopping with us was right in their season that they didn't know yet or we didn't know yet. And so all their perfect things would be there in the stores. There is something absolute about we just always now look at each other, Ronnie and I, and go, well, we'll just all have to trust the timing. You know, when it's time, Mm -hmm. it's time. So that's a big one. Ronnie? Okay. I think... uh, that big word that you uh, mentioned, rebirth, uh, rebirth and courage and trust, trusting not only the idea that here's a huge opportunity for um, for a person to really come into their own, uh, to either rediscover a voice or to to really empower uh, in a, a big boost. 
to take a big leap ahead. We were talking last night, the two of us, about evolution and how a makeover isn't ever really done. It just keeps evolving because we keep evolving. Um, And it does take some courage. Sometimes it sounds, well, a makeover, that sounds like a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, They get their palette and they go, oh, these colors, I love them. Oh, thank you, thank you. It's wonderful. And then... About halfway out the door when they're leaving, they're going, oh, I guess I guess this is where my work starts, you know? So it's not always just a lot of fun. It really requires a willingness on their part to see themselves differently and to take some chances to break out of the box a little bit and um, and try on styles that they might not ever have thought of before. But the willingness, the willingness to experiment and to trust us to try on different things and to just go along with, um, in the dressing room especially, and just try on things that we suggest. And sometimes they're very, very surprised. Mm. I have one funny comment to make about dressing rooms. I find in a lot of dressing rooms, this is totally off track, but I'm just going to share it. I find in a lot of dressing rooms, the lighting is so harsh. And you go in there, and because this lighting is harsh, whatever you try on, you're not feeling good about yourself. Then you go into other places, and they have nice soft lighting in the dressing room. Have you experienced that? Oh, yes. <laughs> we could go on and on about <laughs> lighting can can make the, our day or break our day yeah. in a sense, yeah, um, exactly. especially with women. Um, you, you might want to mute yours. Um, lighting is so huge. And there are, there are dressing rooms, and we actually feel they might be in larger department stores, that we sometimes wonder, are they trying to just make you feel bad about yourself? so that you will just buy things. Even though you look in the mirror and you go, well, I don't know, I don't know, but it's at this fancy department store chain, maybe I should. Um, so there's that end of the spectrum, and we're finding we tend to avoid those more. We really uh, pursue these smaller, well-lit places where there is just, it's a more intimate environment. The lighting is friendly and um it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely. Now, what I'd love to do is give Catherine and Ronnie a little break. They've been sharing so much wonderful information. And we're going to listen to some music by Rita McNeil. It's a song that was written by Ben Harper. He sings it with Rita McNeil. It's absolutely beautiful. And the reason I'm featuring this song is because Rita McNeil is from Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia, where I am. She is a national Canadian treasure. She passed away a couple of years ago. And if there's one person that I had to think of who is an authentic woman, who gets up there, who sings from her soul, who has lots of experience in life, who believed in herself, encouraged people to believe in themselves, it would be Rita McNeil. So, Ronnie and Catherine, I'm going to treat you to a little bit of music from the East Coast of Canada, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Join Mildred Lynn McDonald for a fascinating tour of the mind-body-spirit connection. Enjoy nourishing conversations, thought-provoking guests, 
personal growth tools, compassionate guidance, practical tips, plus a generous sprinkling of East Coast humor and warmth. You'll also love our popular roundtable discussions featuring Heisey Lutmers, John Carousella, and Mildred Lynn. Airs the first Sunday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. For more information, please go to HealingConversationsWithMildredLynn.com. Enjoy the show. Battered and torn Still I can see the light Tattered and worn But I must need to fight Friend of mine, what can't you spare? I know sometimes it gets cold in there when my legs no longer carry. And a warm wind chills my bones I reach for Mother Mary And I shall not walk alone When my listening to Healing Conversations with host Mildred Lynn McDonald on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show. And we're back. That was so beautiful. And now I'd like to get back to Divine Style Makeovers and talk a little bit about providing some guidance for people who feel that their outside appearance doesn't reflect their true self. So, give us the inside scoop now. We're waiting. All right. Okay. Here we go. We've got tip number one. Tip number one is all about eye color. And uh, sometimes people... Think well. I have brown eyes. I have hazel eyes. I have blue eyes. They don't realize that really a person normally has three or four colors going on in their in their eyes. And we always suggest that they will take time to to go where there is good natural light, 
and take a magnifying glass and have a, a real look at their eye color up close and just see what they can see because it's a pretty eye-opening experience, <laughs> to use a pun. <laughs> and when this happens, they might see, oh, I have brown eyes, but I see almost the color of cloves or raisin or cinnamon or something that looks like uh, a little bit of a firelight in there. If they have uh, hazel eyes, they might notice that they might have a a really dark blue-green rim around their eye. Um, If they have um, um, gray eyes, they might notice it's not just gray. There might be several kinds of gray, medium, light gray, and dark gray perhaps. Maybe there's some charcoal around the edge. So knowing what your true eye color is can give you a beginning of uh, learning how to express yourself visually and choosing garments that uh, are related to your eye color. Um, I, and I'm going to uh, let Catherine continue on to the tip two. Okay, the next tip is... Um, Uh, analyzing your general shape. And by that, we're referring to how much curve do you have as opposed to uh, somebody who's maybe more lean and skeletal, straight, uh, straight and angular versus curves. And hooked to that is the fact that we're saying if you are curvy in your features and in your body, um, you want to select clothing that uh, will hug and follow your curves as opposed to being a box, for instance, um, or something much larger and baggier. You want to celebrate those curves because they're already in your face. God's blessed you with them, goddess. Follow the the line, the arc along the side of the body um, into the hip um, and that it's just a lovely thing to do and I'm going to talk about my own physique just because it's so opposite Ronnie. Ronnie is just totally deliciously curvy and I was just a straight board growing up, and so I would fall into the linear, more angular. And that person does not want to try and dress like the curvy person, or those garments will make them look even more sort of uh, weak and undefined. So the key for that person is, again, to follow the body shape and don't try and be the curvy. So they may dress with more angles. They may look good with uh, with tunics and leggings and boots, They're, um, that type of thing. Let's see if Ronnie wants to add anything to that. Yes, I think the the curvy versus the straight figure is sometimes not reflected very well in the fashion of the day. And so people tend to go out and go shopping and just buy what's on the rack thinking, well, this is the style. Uh, It just might not be your style. So knowing that one has a curvy body versus an angular body is very helpful because if you do have curves and you're choosing something like a box, it's going to add bulk, it's going to add weight, and it's going to work against the kind of femininity that you were naturally given. When you have a straighter figure and you try on clothes that are more like Dolly Parton, you're working against your your lines and you're 
you're actually going to look a little more masculine in this very feminine look where that is is the opposite thing that you're trying to create. Most women, I mean all women, have their uh, their brand of femininity that needs to be nurtured and brought out with the kind of creative uh, dressing that we help women find in the dressing room. So we would say not only follow the curves, but we've noticed that most women actually dress in one or two sizes too big. This might seem uh, counterintuitive, but really it's really true. Of course, you don't want to squeeze yourself into something that is extra small. However, you know, when we're uh, women of a certain age, sometimes we we don't think any of our curves or our little ripples on the sides of our bodies should show at all, and so we opt for a much looser look, when actually if we would go down a size or two, we will look not only um, uh, more svelte, but we're also going to look more appealing. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. (laughs) Should I add that? Okay. Um, All right, this is Catherine again. Um, I'm going to be talking about um, contrast. Uh, This is a really interesting thing. Um, Basically what one does is you stand in front of a mirror, most likely you're looking at your face, and note whether you have a lot of contrast, meaning, for instance, a dark brown eye or just a rich eye color in browns and golds. And if your hair is uh, dark and your skin is more fair or even uh, an olive, the dark hair and the dark eye are going to mean that you can handle more contrast. So prints are so big in stores right now, and often women are given a choice of black and white or black and cream. Well, with a higher contrast, you may be able to do that, but a person of low or medium contrast is going to completely disappear. The clothing will jump forward to the viewer, and the person will just literally look like they're they're disappearing. So the, that that piece has to do with medium to low contrast. So now we would be talking about a medium colored eye of it may be a hazel, a gray blue. It's just a softer shades and they may have sort of a medium hair color like they may be kind of a a, a darker blonde or a light pecan brown or a little bit of auburn and their skin is not necessarily a great deal lighter either so they're coming across a sort of medium medium and this is so huge because now you want to look for pattern and clothing that are more within blended. Um, They may be more analogous. And uh, if you'll hold different patterns up to your face and notice the ones that um, they're colored, but they're not jumping out, that that the face will suddenly become more alive and come more forward. And I'm going to let Ronnie tag on to that. I love these yes, and that's Keep going. <laughs> that's where the curves and lines come in again, because if a person has uh, curvy cheek cheeks, rounded cheeks, and curved mouth, and um, 
uh, curved uh, eyes, uh, eye shape, um, the kind of prints and patterns that they're going to be holding up to themselves, um, would you would want to have a curved design, more lyrical with softer edges like a paisley or um, a tapestry or an S-curve like the vine uh, like vines grow, uh, teardrop shapes, this, uh, every uh, maybe a leaf shape that comes that's round and then comes to a point. Um, for a person that has a straight mouth and really straight eyebrows and uh, maybe um, more angular cheekbones, when they hold the curvy kind of patterns up to their face, that's not going to uh, resonate so much. They might be better in geometrics or something that has a lot of straight movement, like a zigzag pattern, that kind of thing. So, uh, oh, I love so that. So that's a little. <laughs> yeah, I never, I never know that, but I will tell you a funny story. I have a, one sister, and she has black, black hair and white, white skin. So we'd go shopping together as sisters would go shopping and she'd go in the dressing room and she'd have these reds and whites and navies and she'd try them on and she'd look like a million dollars. And then I would say to her, ship them over my way because they look so nice. And my coloring is more like the the autumn foliage, right? So I would try these colors on and I would look positively ghostly green. I would look terrible. Like a combination ghostly green, mustard, olive. Oh, it's just awful. When I would walk out of the dressing room, I would be absolutely deflated. And she would be positively radiant. And I did not have the knowledge to understand what you guys were just sharing about the color palettes, about the lines, about the angles. And for our listeners out there, once you have this knowledge, it changes the whole landscape of how you're able to express yourself. That's my two cents worth. Very very well said. It does. And um, literally you learn which landscape you most relate to, you know, um, perhaps ocean colors and uh, water bodies are great. Or um, when in autumn, yes, trees and foliage and springs, springish, beautiful, that flaxen-haired light eye, uh, they look so lovely when part of their garment sort of flutters in the breeze, like butterfly wings or something. There's something mm-hmm. delicate and, and rising up about that energy. It's very replenishing and nurturing. And then the, the, the fair-skinned, dark-haired people have a, a lot of presence, and they can do these very impactful, uh, high-contrast, dramatic uh, things. Yeah, icicles and rhinestones and stars and moon. It's, it's, it's also fascinating. <laughs> It is. Now, what I'd like to do is to take the focus off your clients for a few minutes and put the flashlight on both of you. And this is what I'd like to ask, and I'm sure our listeners would love to know. I can tell that you love your work. I'm interested, do you view it as a calling? Do you view it as a vocation? What do you find so joyful and satisfying and rewarding? Because you can hear it in your voice. You are exactly where you're supposed to be right now, doing what you're supposed to do. 
Anybody want to step in there? I'll start. I would definitely, uh, for me, it was a true calling. It was sudden, a sudden, of fall, just like falling in love at first sight. Um, I had my uh, color palette done in uh, around 1983 and by a woman named Suzanne Cagle in Los Angeles, and nothing has been the same since. So for me, it was uh, just very sudden. In fact, the night after I had my color palette done, I thought in my dream I experienced an earthquake. So I always say it was an earth an earth shaking experience, <laughs> and it took quite a while to get used to. Even though in my early uh, life, in my teens and early twenties, I I was actually following my true color palette, but somewhere along uh, somewhere along the line, I got um, sort of seduced by the fashionistas and the um, fashion of the day, whether it was uh, mauve and wine colors and taupe or whether it was the um, the prints and patterns and bell bottoms of the 70s. I found myself uh, not quite holding to the to what was true for me and and not really realizing it so when this uh when I had my color palette done, it was just a, a complete reawakening of of what is true for me and what felt like home to me and I want to to give this back to Catherine. I know she'll talk about home a little differently as well okay thank you okay um well. My little journey was pretty sad initially. Just quickly, I grew up uh, 18 years in the middle of the Mojave Desert on a naval weapons testing center with scientists from all over the world. And I think 90% of the population was beautifully blonde and blue-eyed and, you know, just just those folks. And here I am, this dark-haired, very thin, kind of a, a, a nondescript gray-green eye. And I don't see myself anywhere those first many years of my life and I never felt in step with anything I had no relationship to my soul um, I didn't feel like I belonged on the planet and um, oddly enough or ironically enough I did uh, end up in the arts I was a fine art painter sculptor and then found my way into graphic design and was known for my sense of color but but I never thought I, I never knew what I was supposed to look like so this was a crisis that went on through my life until um, my 50s, and um, I actually became di- disabled through uh, Lyme disease, and the uh, the goddess took away my arms. That was my livelihood. And through this huge descent, which was the blessing of my life, uh, I had to agree to just be the uh, utter beginner and hired a fabulous life coach and through that relationship opened up to the feminine because I had been running masculine yang energy my whole life and Ronnie and I work a lot with this relationship the proportion of yin and yang with each woman by the way and man and a makeover but uh, my masculine really did have to lay down his strength and make room for this feminine to come in and 
I had no relationship with any feminine that resonated with myself. I didn't have any of that. I didn't have a sister, my mother, and I didn't go there. And so through just it, – it's why we named the business Divine Style Makeovers, through divine intervention – our dear coach, Pam Austin, I just had to give her a little plug there, uh, had a huge a huge um, a gathering of 60 women. And, and through her, uh, Ronnie and I were brought together serendipitously. And we ended up forming this business. And I will say that I did paint uh, in Montana in the autumn. I didn't want to paint any other time, but I would paint these beautiful, beautiful paintings of autumn autumn colors and stuff and then still ill and disabled and off work and did get a house and the colors that uh, my partner and I put in the house were very autumn and I didn't quite understand that either but we loved them and then I met Ronnie and she did my palette within a week and I couldn't believe my eyes I just couldn't believe it I, I, I cried I felt like I now know where I belong on earth no wonder not only do I I understand why I don't look like these other people, and there's a whole energetic to uh, my particular autumn essence. I'm very related to the outdoors, the creatures, the fish, the trees, the forest, the meadow, um, the animals of all kinds. And I just didn't fit in with girly girls. And I began to understand. It's like, oh, Artemis. Um, Where's the bow and arrow? Um, I mean, just so many things about the autumnal design. And it was a coming home that uh, has began a healing process. I am mostly well now. It's been a huge healing rite of passage to wear the colors that nourished my body. I was invisible. I looked, I was wearing grays and blacks and was pale and, and looked kind of sickly, like you said, Mildred. And um, mm-hmm. just disappeared and the nourishment um, and, and feeling at home on earth. What price can we put on that? I, I mean, if nothing else happens to my life, I got to come home to me and find my place. And I'm so grateful to Ronnie for the rest of my life. Ronnie and Catherine, do you see yourselves as mentors in this area? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And why? Oh, and why? Oh, gosh. Well, I think um, I, I'm going to add a little bit more of, of that personal journey. Um, when one has found themselves, um, you know, I found myself more in the winter expression with ice and snow and stark landscapes of winter with just a splash of color and um, realized that when someone uh, was telling me uh, what beautiful white skin I had, at the time I lived in uh, Bakersfield in the uh, the valley and um, was still being taught that one should tan. Uh, to have nice a nice brown tan in the summer, and so I was taking that as a, a more of an insult than a compliment. And so part of my journey was to understand that uh, that my high contrast was was one of my gifts, and not to try to change that. And so 
Yes, and so getting back to uh, why do we see ourselves as mentors or why is that important to us, I think both Catherine and I, having had the gift of discovering it for ourselves, um, it's like we we just we want to share that. We want to share the possibilities that that kind of a huge um, a huge awakening of being a woman and and being the kind of woman that you're meant to be can be something that is for every woman, not just for women who are attractive or women who uh, who see themselves as a fashionista. One doesn't need to have any of that to be our client or to have a huge, uh, wonderful change in how they uh, appear in, out in the world. It's something that uh, that is within reach of every woman. I love that. Now, I know that you are busy doing your mentoring through Divine Style Makeover. So what's coming up in the next year for you? How can people work with you? And are you considering anything online? Because some of our listeners are not in the California area, not in the Northern California, Sonoma area. So what does that look like? I'll take a crack at that. Uh, we have okay. um, we have really been taking a hard look at that ourselves of how to reach people that are not local. And so one of the things that we are working toward is to be able to do some of our uh, work with style and color through Skype. We also are quite mobile and love to travel, so this is Another thing that we're looking toward is to do a little more travel to an area, say go to an area where at least, you know, four to six people would love to have us come and then just come and stay for a bit and and do a few makeovers or do some color palettes and and help people who can't come to us for one reason or another. A couple of other things that we are doing is... Uh, yes, we have a, a monthly newsletter that we send out, and it has a lot of. Uh, uh, we have ongoing education for our clients, and also for people to get introduced to our work. We've just started doing something called First Friday Style Night, and we are doing um, a half-day workshop uh, every other month. Uh, our first workshop we had in January was all about working with patterns and discovering the right patterns for each person. We're going to have another workshop talking about proportions and how to work with your body type. So that's on the agenda for March. And uh, our style night, we we are going to have a, a, a lip lesson. Uh, in one of our future style nights, learning how to actually apply lipstick so that your lips really show up in the best way. So um, other than that, we are we have our Facebook page, we have our website, mm-hmm. we have some Pinterest boards on Pinterest that is a wonderful way to actually get more tips uh, and to see Visually, some of the things that we talked about earlier in the program today about contrast and 
whether you glow, sparkle, or sequin your way through life. And the other thing that uh, we haven't yet done and that we really want to make room for is doing some short YouTube videos and also some e-books may be in our future. And I'm going to let Catherine... I guess you did a great job. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I want to get the address for your website. Can you share that with our listeners? Yes, yes. It's um, www.divinestylemakeovers.com. Your Facebook page is? It's under Divine Style Makeovers. Okay, and Pinterest, your and page is Pinterest under. is um, Pinterest is uh, www.pinterest.com slash uh, forward slash mm-hmm. uh, divine makeovers slash email address so at divine style makeovers.com. Okay, great. Sounds good. I am so looking forward to those YouTube videos. I think that's a fabulous <laughs> idea. I really think it's putting out there. Let's do it. Well, you know, people love watching us. They say that it's very entertaining as well as enlightening. And so they've encouraged us for a long time to, to make videos. So uh, I think this is the year. I think this is the year, too. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play a little song, and then when you come back, the three of us, let's sign off with some final thoughts or a final tip uh, for our listeners. And, Ronnie, I have to tell you, and I'm sure you'll you'll enjoy this, too, Catherine. Ronnie, I know that you play the fiddle. I know that you enjoy the Cape Breton fiddle. So for our last break, we're featuring music of Mary Jane Lamond and Wendy McIsaac. Wendy McIsaac is a wonderful fiddler from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. It's a beautiful song called The Blue Mountain Lullaby.
listening to Healing Conversations with host Mildred Lynn McDonald on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at fireflywillows.com. Enjoy the show. Anything you would like to add to inspire or motivate someone who might be listening today, someone who's really feeling your message and they're looking to go to the next step in their lives. We but we talked about it during the song briefly. What we would like to do in the name of kindred spirits out there is invite anyone interested or moved by today's conversation to schedule a phone coffee date of 15 minutes with us to ask a couple of questions or express your thoughts about something having to do with this. We love coffee dates, and that just means we are sitting with our coffee and tea and have a, a a set-aside time uh, that can be easily arranged through email. It's just um, we'd like to provide that outreach, um, if that's good. Okay, and Ronnie? I would like to have your listeners ask themselves, have I been hiding out? Have I chosen to be invisible? And is it time to change that? Yes. Yes, Ronnie, it is. <laughs> it's enthusiastic. <laughs> I'm ready for the coffee. <laughs> oh, my heavens. It's been so wonderful, so refreshing, like a breath of fresh air to talk to both of you today. I'm talking with Ronnie McCullough and Catherine Heflin of Divine Style Makeovers in California, but they are worldwide now. They're officially worldwide. (laughs) They will do beautiful, beautiful work with you. And also, if you would really like to listen to this show again, it's available in the Blog Talk Radio archives, and you can also find it on HealingConversationsWithMildredLynn.com. And also, if you know someone in your life who needs a makeover at a soul level or is open to a makeover at a soul level so that they can express themselves as they are meant to express themselves, please pass along this show. It may be the kindest thing that you do today. It may be your good deed for the day. So I'd like to thank (laughs) Ronnie McCullough. Thank you so much, Ronnie, for being here. Oh, you're so welcome. And Catherine Heflin, who is a fellow autumn, the foliage lady. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Uh, It's just been a delight. Thank you, Mildred. We're very grateful. I would love to invite you back when you get those YouTube videos posted. So we have a chance. 
All right. Well, you have a wonderful right. day today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for doing this work and sharing your message. Join Mildred Lynn McDonald for a fascinating tour of the mind-body-spirit connection. Enjoy nourishing conversations, thought-provoking guests, personal growth tools, compassionate guidance, practical tips, plus a generous sprinkling of East Coast humor and warmth. You'll also love our popular roundtable discussions featuring Heisey Lutmers, John Carousella, and Mildred Lynn. Airs the first Sunday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. For more information, please go to HealingConversationsWithMildredLynn.com. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for joining us. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist with Heisey Lutmers and Charlie Harrington, Tuesday evening at 8 p.m.